Today's scripture reading is Matthew verses 1 through 18 through 21. Now the verses of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with the child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a man just and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is God's word. All right, guys, you can take a seat. You know, I think something that's very easy for, it's very easy to happen, is we become very numb to God. Um, we, come, we become numb to Him, and we get caught up in what's happening all around us. And that's what this series is about. We're in week two, uh, numero dos, of our series called The Break-In. It's an Advent series. And the idea is that God is rending open the heavens, meaning he's ripping open the heavens and he's coming down. And this is what we said last week. We asked this question, is it possible for God to break into the world? Does it violate his character? Is this, there is a God, if there's a God, would he open up the heavens and come down and be with us? Does it violate who he is if he does that? Is he willing to do this for us? And the answer is yes, he has come. He's willing to do it, and he has come. And all throughout the Old Testament, you see these glimmers where you see the heavens open up and God breaking in. But every glimmer in the Old Testament is pointing forward to an actual arrival, to a physical break-in, to a historical break-in where God comes in. And this is humanity's greatest hope, that God would actually break in. And by the way, so as Bannon was reading that, Bannon, you did a great job, by the way, as Bannon was reading that, all of the gospel writers do the same thing. They get to this epic event where God is breaking into the world and they're like, oh, Mary became pregnant with the Son of God and she gave birth to the Son of God and then just kind of moves on. Now, why in the world are they describing this epic event in this way? Because the writers are going through painstaking efforts to make sure that you know this is a historical document. These, they're taking down the facts of what happened. Christianity is not just, hey, God has come to show you how you should live, or it's not just a metaphor for how you should live. It is God actually breaking into the world, breaking into history to tell you he has come. He has come, why? To save. So last week we saw that it's not just the deepest longing of our heart for God to break in, but he actually does break in. But why? Is it because he's been dying to understand what all the rave is about Chick-fil-A so he can come in and have himself a nice bite of a good chicken sandwich? No. Is it because 
he's seeing us binge watch The Office on Netflix, and he's like, let me see what all this is about. The answer is no. Is it because he's showing off? No. Is it because he wants to teach us how we should live? Absolutely not. The reason he comes into the world is for rescue. Bottom line, that's why God has come. That's the primary mission of Jesus. And the first thing we're going to look at that proves all of this is simply his name. So when Elise and I were trying to figure out the names of our kids, uh, we were divided about the approach. So my approach was, we got to find a name with a super cool meaning. Elise was saying, we got to find a name that sounds good. So if we would have taken only my approach, our kids would have had some crazy sounding names, but the meaning would have been awesome. But the day when it came time for them to go to school for the first time and their name gets called and they have to raise their hand here, it would have been very embarrassing for them and it would have got a lot of giggles if, it, if we went with only my approach. So we went with both approaches. But the Hebrew, the Hebrew mentality was the mentality that I took. In fact, names in the Hebrew culture, they'd actually take an, a sentence and abbreviate that sentence all the way down into one single name. And that's what we see with Jesus. And, and when God gets involved with somebody's name, their name is always tied up with their destiny. Do you know what the name Jesus means? In Hebrew, the name is Yeshua, which means Yahweh helps, and that got popularized into Yahweh saves. Today, when we hear the word Jesus, the translation for us is this, God saves. It's a picture of this. It's a picture of humanity crying out to God in desperation, God help us. Like a deep cry, God help us, and his answer is God saves, Jesus I remember uh, this story one of my seminary professors told. Uh, he was over at a friend's house, and they, it was time for their kids to go to bed, and so he was helping with this, and so for some reason he's helping put the kid to bed. And uh, as he's putting the kid to bed, the, my, my professor prays, and then it's the turn for the kid to pray, and the kid prays this, God, help us. And the professor said, that kid gets it. So when I pray with my boys before they go to sleep, there's four things that we always pray. God, we love you. We're sorry for doing stuff wrong. Thank you for forgiving us, Jesus, and please help us. And if we really don't have time or they're just being crazy, we just say this, God, just help us. It's at the core of of what our relationship looks like with God. It is not at all a coincidence that Jesus' name is Jesus. Actually, an angel comes to appear to Mary and Joseph and tell them his name is to be Jesus. God saves. Humanity cries out to God. God comes into the world and literally calls himself God saves answering our deepest hurts with the name Jesus. Now, an important question we have to ask is, what is Jesus actually saving us from? The answer, sin. 
and you say, little old sin? Like us just doing these little things that are just like a little bit wrong or like this isn't really hurting anybody. So, I mean, that's what we do. We, we make excuses for our sin or we minimize our sin or, I mean, you know this feeling, like you know you're about to do something you shouldn't do and you say, this isn't really that big of a deal. And what, that's, that's what we're doing. We're minimizing our sin. Now, why are we doing that? We're trying to convince ourselves. We're trying to become numb to sin. We're trying to become numb to this idea that we need God because in in a way we don't feel like we can find him. So what are we going to do about this big problem that we have? We treat sin like it's no big deal. And do you know what the Bible's trying to convince you of? That there is no greater threat to humanity than sin. The greatest threat to your life is sin. The greatest threat to those that you love, sin. And so, you, okay, well, what is sin? What is sin? Well, the Bible defines sin in a few different ways. So first, sin is lawlessness. Sin is ultra, also unbelief. Sin is idolatry, meaning you find something that you enjoy more than you enjoy God. And you're like, well, gosh, I do that all the time. <laughs> Welcome to the conversation. Uh, or, or sin is tyranny, meaning I'm removing God from the throne. Here's what we're doing. Like, plainly as I can say it, God creates us and he says, here's how you ought to live. Here's the way you're designed to live. And we throw up the middle finger to God and we say, uh-uh, I'm going to live the way that I want to live. I'm making the rules here. I'm saying the way that this is going to go down. Greatest threat to humanity. Nuclear war? Nope disease? Nope. An asteroid that is heading straight to earth to explode earth? Nope. Aliens? Don't be weird. Sin. The answer is sin. Sin spreads faster than an airborne virus on a plane. It's more violent to us than cancer, and sin makes bin Laden look like a middle school bully. Why? Because of what it does to us. What is sin doing to us? Every time we sin, what is it doing to us? One, it's giving us a guilty record. Two, it gives us a dead heart. And three, it gives us a fallen world. Guilty record, dead heart, fallen world. Diseases, natural disasters, cancer, that's a result of a fallen world, which is a result of sin. Our inability to treat people the way we ought to treat them in wars that keep on happening all around the world because of dead hearts. And that feeling that you get deep in your gut, like the shame that you feel deep in your gut that you're trying to tell yourself, no, come on, you don't have to feel this way, you don't have to feel this way, but every time you tell yourself you don't have to feel this way, it just gets worse. You know why, why, you know why that's happening? Because your soul is screaming at you that you're guilty, that you have not lived the way that you are meant to live. We have a problem with our record, with our heart, and with our world. You think about it like this. You, def- you appear in the divor- divine courtroom as guilty. You appear in the divine hospital and are pronounced dead. And you 
are in this fallen world with hurt, with tears, with the fear of death around every corner, all because of sin. We are victims of a world that we have created. When you finally feel the weight of those three things, and don't become dumb to them, but you feel the weight of them, that's when you finally cry out to God. God, help me. When I was, when I was a little boy, um, I, I went over to my friend's house. Uh, I was little, 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 little boy. Ran over to my friend's house. He wasn't there. I was super sad about it. I'm like, oh, maybe he's at our other friend's house. But we didn't really go over to our other friend's house because he was over another side of a ditch. But I was like, okay, well, this is the first time I'm going to go over there. I'm going to go check and see if they're there. So I go running, um, and I get there, and I turn the corner to get to the front door. And do you know what's sitting on the, at the front door? A Rottweiler. And uh, popped his head up. A Rottweiler is a, a big, scary dog. If you didn't know, pops his head up, and I hear the scariest sound up at this point in my life that I have ever heard. He growls, but he is growling in a way that I have not heard a dog do before. So I take off running as fast as my little legs will take me, and I hear him getting closer and closer and closer, and I am feeling like I am done for, like this dog is about to catch me, this is not going to be good. Um, and so uh, I yell, I, from deep in my gut, I yell something out. And I didn't even remember doing it, I looked back at doing it. I didn't even know I did it, but I yelled something out. Do you know what I yelled? Mommy. <laughs> now, I, in, my, in my mind, I was a cool kid. I didn't say mommy, I said mom. But in that moment, yeah, that was the mark. Of, I mean, I was young. That was the mark of being cool at, at that time. So, so I don't know what happened, but it, it just came out because I was terrified. Uh, once I got home, I got, oh, oh, by the way, so, so I yelled out, mommy. Then he caught me, bit me in my rear end, and I was very much not happy about it. It hurt very bad. So I get back home, and I get my BB gun. I'm like, I'm going to go get him in his, his rear end. And I didn't find him lucky for him. Um, <laughs> but, but listen, the fear that I felt in that moment, it's nothing compared to what we ought to feel when we understand the threat that sin has over us. And when we realize the situation we're in, we become desperate with God. Do you know when people are in a life-threatening situation, always, you almost always hear them yell out for God or their mom, but, but God also. And it's our natural reaction. It's coming out of our gut. But let me tell you what we do. We make ourselves numb to our reality. We, we feel like we have this shame or this guilt and we got to do something about it. And so we start trying to figure out ways to manipulate our soul or we actually tell our soul to just be quiet, just shut up, stop talking because I can't handle the weight of what I'm feeling right now. We have become so used to living in a fallen world with dead hearts and with guilty records that here's what happens. We don't realize our need for God. 
my barber grew up in Lebanon. And he, he told me this story that when he was growing up, bombs were going off all around him. And they would just run inside and find the safest spot in their house, and they would just sit there, all huddled up. I said, man, that must have been terrifying. And he just kind of shrugged it off like, this is just something that was part of their life. This is just what, what life was like for them. It, it just, he had become numb to something that would terrify a young American boy. And we are likely making ourselves numb to our need for God. When someone becomes a Christian, it's not because God could give them a better life. It's because they actually believe God has now saved their life. And if you're a Christian and right now you're not growing, it's likely because right now you are numb God and you're numb to your reality and your need for God. The Bible gives us the answer of how God responds to our cry for help. It says he comes to us. If we're going to expand, so, so we have this problem of, of our record, our heart, and our world. And here's, here's what the Bible promises to do. The Bible's promising, listen, listen, listen. The Bible's promising that you can receive a new record, a new heart, and a new world. The last promise is yet to happen. In other words, the historical truth that God has broken through come into the world and he's died on the cross and he's risen from the grave. That is a historical truth that has accomplished a new record, a new heart, and a new world, but all those things need to be applied to your life by faith. It's been accomplished, but they need to be applied by your faith. So I, what I want to do is I want to take each problem, a new record, or a, a, a record, a heart, and a world. We need new ones. Here's, so, so let's just take each one. So the first one is your guilty record. So you're standing in the divine courtroom and you know you're guilty. And the sentence is going to be death. And then in that moment, you say, oh, God, help me. And then all of a sudden, the courtroom doors slam open. And Jesus Christ walks in and he says, stop. I am taking his place. I am taking her place. I'm standing in your place, he says. And he takes, goes to the cross and receives the death sentence that was meant for me, that was meant for you. And then he says, and here's my record, it is yours now. Now you go out in freedom with a perfect record. My record, I live this perfect life and now I'm giving it to you. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. At the end of your life, you either say to God, God, here's my record or here's Christ's record. And you have to pick one. And as soon as you take a bit of your record, you forfeit Christ's record. You either take all of your record or you take none of it and take Christ's. But you have to pick one. You must take your record and count it as rubbish so you can take Christ's record. Otherwise, you're always going to hold on. But God, do you remember that time that I did this? 
Remember that time, God, I was trying so hard and then I was able to do this? Well, now you've lost Christ's record because you're standing on your accomplishments. You're standing on your record. And so right now, picture a Bible, not a Bible, picture a trash right next to you and take your record and dump it so you can take Christ. You've got to make a choice, though. And every, uh, every other religion is telling you, build up your record. Come on. Build it up, build it up, build it up, build it up, and present that to God. And what Christianity is telling you to do is don't be foolish, throw out your record, and give Christ. That's the good news of a new record that God has accomplished for you. Now your heart. So dead heart. You lie in the hospital... And for your last breath, you whisper out, God, help me. And then you take that last breath, pass. And here's what happens. You enter into death. But you've called out for help from God. And so God breaks into death in order to break you up out of death. Did you hear that? You take your last breath, you are in death, Christ comes, breaks you up out of it. In the resurrection, he takes you by the hand and brings you with you. Do you, know, you, do you, have, you try reaching for God when you're dead. You can't, you're dead. You're helpless, you're immovable, and so he breaks in to come and get you, to break you up out of it. When that happens, you have this whole new heart, and guess what starts happening to you? This weird thing that seems so strange that people want to worship God, you start actually wanting to do that. You start actually enjoying God. You start enjoying Him, reading the Bible, reading Him, you enjoy spending time with Him in prayer. It seemed so weird to you before. It's made you alive, and you want to live in this whole new way, or at least you're, you you want to. All right, now your fallen world. So you're on your knees. This is this picture. You're on your knees. Like chaos is happening all around you. You're on your knees. You're crying. You're in pain. And then you have a God who breaks in, comes into the world, dies on the cross, rises from the grave, and is now ruling from the heavens waiting for the second advent, the day where he comes to make all things right again. That's the great promise of Christianity. It's a great promise that has yet to come. And this is the thing that a lot of times we hear and we say, man, this sounds too good to be true. Sounds like magic or something. How are you going to come to believe that? Well, hold on. We're going to get to that. You, do you realize, so, so we think about all things being made right. Do you realize uh, on Christmas Eve, if a child is having a really bad day on Christmas Eve, do you know what you can say to that child? Tomorrow is Christmas. You can whisper in your child's ear, tomorrow is Christmas, and you're going to have presents under the tree. And then all of a sudden, they're happy again. Because they know what tomorrow brings. If tomorrow, God makes all things right. I mean, 
metaphorically speaking right now. We don't know what tomorrow's going to be, but the idea of God will one day make all things right. Do you know what that means? That means even right now when you know that is to come for you, that joy can bubble up in the midst of the difficulties that you're walking through, that you can have hope even though it feels like everything around you is crumbling because you have this great promise that tomorrow God is coming. That's the promise. God bringing a new world. All right, now, if this, everything I've said at this point, doesn't sound like the greatest news that you have ever heard, you are misunderstanding it. And if you're a Christian and you have become numb to these things, you need something to make them alive to you again. If you don't realize how bad your situation is, you need something to make it alive to you. If you don't realize that these truths that I've told you are the greatest thing that's ever happened to you, you need something to make it alive again or someone. And that's exactly what the Spirit does for you. Look at our story. Because we ask, how am I going to come to believe this? How am I going to come to believe that God came into the world and became impregnated, Mary became impregnated by the Holy Spirit, comes into the world? How in the world am I going to believe that? Look at our story. How does Jesus come into the world? From the verses. By the Holy Spirit. In other words, God is a concept. God is an idea. God is far off from us. And then the Holy Spirit gets involved, and all of a sudden God becomes real. He's not a concept anymore, but he's physically with us in the world. He becomes real to you. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes Christianity true to you. You cannot intellectually ascend to, un- to belief in Christianity. It is the work of the Spirit to convince you. And if you're numb to God, if you're a Christian and you're becoming numb to God, you, you have to become desperate for the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Look at Joseph. So, so, We don't know how this happened. The details are not there about the exchange between Joseph and Mary. Like, how Joseph, what's going to happen? Like, all of a sudden, Mary stretches, like, yawns, and her belly shows, and Joseph's like, hey, uh, have you been drinking a lot of beer, or are you pregnant? What is going on here? Is that a beer belly, or is, like, what's going on, Mary? And Mary says, oh, Joseph, we need to talk. Um, I had a dream. And an angel came and told me that uh, the Holy Spirit's going to come to me and I'm going to be pregnant with the Son of God. So apparently this is the Son of God in my belly and it's pretty much going to change everything for us uh, in the rest of our lives. But um, that's what's here. So Joseph, being a very common sense kind of guy, says, okay, Mary's crazy um, and she's a bit promiscuous, so... Uh, I'm going to divorce her quietly. And and by the way, if you didn't notice, they were engaged. So why is he saying divorce her quietly? Well, in this culture, if you're engaged to someone as if you're married to them. So uh, he says, okay, we're going to figure out a way for me to get out of here. And so Joseph falls asleep. He has a dream. And the angel appears to him now and says, no, it's all true. And Joseph says, okay, let's do this. Now, here's my question. Does Joseph believe because an angel appeared to him in a dream? 
or because the Holy Spirit revealed this to be true to him? Well, if you look throughout the rest of Scripture, there's plenty of times where angels are showing up to people and they don't believe. When people come to believe Christianity to be true, it is because the Holy Spirit has gotten involved and convinced their soul that it is true. That's what you need. It's what we all need. When God created the world, do you know what the Spirit was doing? God is creating the world. The Spirit is hovering over the face of the deep. It's part, it's, it's the Spirit's job in making the world come alive, bringing life. Well, what we need is for the Holy Spirit to hover over the face of our soul so that our ears might be opened up and our eyes might be opened up so that we actually see that something that we thought there's no way that this could be true actually becomes true to us. If you're sitting here and Christianity does not sound like the greatest news you've ever heard, you need the Holy Spirit to open up the eyes and ears of your soul. The Holy Spirit is the great preacher that works in unison with the church and the preaching that happens in the church. And I've got, I've got to tell you this. The claim that the Bible makes is right now the Holy Spirit is present with us and is doing work in this room right now. Are you having a hard time believing Christianity is true? You need the Holy Spirit to push you into making this leap of faith. If you're a Christian and you're numb to God right now, you need the Holy Spirit to get involved. Or else you become like my barber who hears bombs going off all around him and has become numb to it. We become numb to God. Maybe you've grown up in the church all your life and you've never really said, I believe this is true. You need the Holy Spirit. We need help. Here's what I want to do right now. I want to, I want to just take you through what happened to Christ. So, so we had God saves through the Spirit and now third by the work of Christ. Now, here, I just want to take you through what the work of Christ is. But before I do that, I want to pray. But look, as I'm praying... Be open-minded here that the heavens have opened up and that the Holy Spirit is hovering over the face of your soul, trying to whisper to your soul to come alive and to stop numbing your soul, but you would allow it to hear and to see the truth of Christianity. So as I'm praying, I just want to ask you, I mean, you're here. God's up to something. I just want to ask you to have a moment of sincerity with God where you're authentically just asking. In, in the parts inside of you that might be fighting this, just ignore them. And just have a moment of sincerity with God where you really ask him that he might reveal to you, the Holy Spirit might reveal to you the truth of this.
So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to tell you this truth. God, now, please, we need your help. And we ask now that you would rend open the heavens, that you would rip them open and come down. And that your spirit right now would hover over the face of our souls. So that we might see and hear this truth that can only become real to us by you. That's how desperate we are, God. And so show us the desperation that we might feel. And then resolve it all by giving us belief. Okay, so here you go. Christ. I hope you did that. Christ comes into the world by the Spirit. He's born into the world. And we don't know much about his childhood, but here's what we do know from Isaiah. He was raised up like a lamb to be slaughtered. Raised up to die. And even Jesus starts his ministry, and you know what he keeps telling his disciples? I'm about to be slaughtered. They're like, no, no, no. He said, yes, I'm going to be slaughtered. That's the plan. That's the goal. That's why I am here. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then the night comes where he's arrested. The innocent man is arrested as guilty. And then he's hung upon the cross. Nails into his wrists as his arms are stretched out in love for the world. And the physical suffering that he experiences is nothing compared to the spiritual suffering. Because all of the promises that come as a result of sin were thrown upon him on the cross. And he feels the weight of the wrath for all of our sins upon himself. Why? Because he loves you. He's taking it for you. And he does it. All of it. And then, gives you his perfect record. You have a perfect record despite everything that you've done. But not just that. The Son of God is crucified and becomes an orphan on the cross searching for his Father not to find him so that you might be adopted in. And then as he's plunged into death. He takes hold of us who are spiritually dead, these dead hearts, and he rises up from the grave to bring us alive. And now he's ascended into heaven and he's sitting at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning, waiting for the day where he's going to come back for his second advent and make all things right. That is our And in the midst of the suffering we're experiencing, in the midst of the difficulties you're going through, we remember and we hope that God saves. Saves us from our past record, our future record. Saves us, saves our dead hearts and makes them alive and saves us from a fallen world and raises it up. 
because that's what he does. His identity is wound. His destiny is wound in his name. God saves. God, I, I pray that right now we would believe this to be true and the parts of us that are doubting, the parts of us that are struggling to believe it, God, I pray by your spirit that you would wipe those doubts away so that we might discover you for who you really are, Jesus, God saves. God, help us. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.